The longest field goal ever attempted is 76 yards. The longest field goal ever missed? Also 76 yards. Why bring this up? Because knowing your limits matters, both when you're kicking a field goal and when you gamble. Betting more than you're comfortable with is like trying a 70-yard field goal. It probably won't go well. So set a limit when you gamble and stick to it. Want more helpful tips like this? Go to KeepItFunOhio.com for games, quizzes, and lots of ways to keep your gambling from getting out of hand. It's a Wednesday edition of PFTPM. Miles Simmons, Mike Florio here with you as we begin to prepare for week six. The Raiders having a challenge to get themselves ready for week six, given everything that's gone on this week. Miles, good afternoon. How are you? I'm doing all right, Mike. How are you? I, I Well, since you asked, you don't care, but I'm going to tell you, this is one of those days where I worked out just before the show, and okay. a la George Costanza, when he was eating spicy chicken, I took a shower, and it didn't take. So <laughs> I am sweating. And that happens. Sometimes the timeline falls in a way that the shower doesn't work, and the sweating continues. So... I, I'm not uh, like Newman under the hot light of his own interrogation. I am just hot, literally, and I'm going to be sweating. Uh, and it's going to be noticeable, hopefully not like Albert Brooks in broadcast news. So you asked, I answered. Let's get to the news of the day. And we saw some of Mike Mayock, the Raiders GM, on the front end. He spoke to reporters, and we're going to play some of it coming up. I want to start, though, with Carl Nassib the first openly gay player in league history to actually play in a regular season game. He came out last June, and he requested and received a personal day as he's processing the events related to John Gruden. I see a couple of issues here, Miles. First, Carl Nassib is going to be inundated with questions when he shows up, and there's a certain irony to this, and it's an unfortunate irony, because when Michael Sam came out in 2014, one of the misguided, old-school, outdated mindsets was it's going to create a distraction because all of his teammates are going to be asked questions about Michael Sam, and you know some coaches don't want distractions, so they don't want Michael Sam. Well, now, because of the distraction created by John Gruden, Carl Nassib's going to be asked all these questions about John Gruden that he shouldn't have to answer to. And that part of it, to me, is unfortunate, but it's also unavoidable. Yeah, I mean, it is unavoidable. And I mean, look, it, the the entire premise of, I think, what Carl Nassib was wanting to, to have today makes a lot of sense to me. And I, I also saw the point made on Twitter that, you know, maybe uh, if you're talking about a black player, right, a black player should have maybe been able to request and also have a personal day just based on everything that was going on because it started with the racist comment and a racist trope. And, you know, we don't know whether or not a black player wanted or was granted or not granted a day, a personal day or anything like that. But I think one of the points that Mike Mayock made, and I don't know if we're going to play this clip or not, but is, is that there's a community of black players, whereas there's only one, you know, Carl Nassib, and it's one of one. So I, frankly, I very much understand the need for a personal day from his standpoint when all of this stuff has come out. And by way of background, for anyone that may have missed this detail or has already forgotten it, given the avalanche of details we've been sifting through the past two days, one of the emails that John Gruden sent to former Washington President Bruce Allen that was given to the Raiders and then leaked by someone, someone, to the New York Times included Gruden questioning the commissioner 
allegedly striking a deal with former Rams coach Jeff Fisher to use a late-round pick on Michael Sam so that Sam would not go undrafted because that would be a bad look for the NFL because to the average fan, you would think the guy who was the SEC Defensive Player of the Year would be drafted in the first seven rounds, even though at some point it's more advantageous to pick where you're going to start your NFL career rather than be drafted in round seven. They wanted him to be drafted. John Gruden didn't like that. John Gruden made that clear, and John Gruden used a derogatory term to refer to a gay person in articulating his thoughts to Bruce Allen. So that said, Miles, I want to mention something now that I talked about yesterday with Shireen as it relates to Rich Passaccia becoming the interim head coach, because even though Gruden is gone, if you're Carl Nassib or if you're any of the black players on that team, why should you regard Rich Bisaccia any differently than you would have regarded John Gruden? Because John Gruden gave you no outward reason to think that there was anything amiss. And the only difference between Gruden and Bisaccia is we don't have access to Bisaccia's email account. So I think that for the players who are stunned and saddened by what's gone on, There's a trust factor that needs to be rebuilt toward the entire organization, toward the entire structure, whether it's the Raiders or some other team. And this this may not be unique to the Raiders, but it would be most prevalent with the Raiders. Whoever is in the position of authority post-Gruden, I think there's an inclination to look at him and say, what do you think about me? And I think Carl Nassib, who is one of one, as you said, is the one who is most likely to look at Rich Passaccia and say, hmm. I, I, you and Gruden were friends for a long time. I wonder if you feel the same way about me, too. And how can I believe you if you tell me I, I don't feel that way? Because John Gruden told me those things, too. Yeah, that's really tough. And, and it's something that, you know, I, as I think about it, it, I don't know how I would deal with that. I, I really don't, you know. And like we're saying, you know, he's one of one. And there's not necessarily somebody else that he can go to in the locker room and be like, hey, man, do you, what do you else do you really know about X person when in regards to Y? It's just that's really tough. And, you know, I, I feel for Carl Nassib in that way. But I, I think we, we have to think about this from a, a really wide perspective, too, where it's how do we know anything about the people that we have to trust in order to do our jobs, right? We only know what people tell us, what people show us when we are present with them. Um, and, you know, when it's like the Maya Angelou line, right? When somebody uh, shows you who they are, you got to believe them and believe them the first time. And so it's hard to really, really know who people are. Um, before they actually introduce themselves to us. And especially in this case, that's going to be tough to deal with. When you are dealing with the person who was close with Gruden and who becomes the right-hand man, he was the assistant head coach, and he's plugged into that job. I think it's difficult for Carl Nassib. It may be difficult for some of the other players. You mentioned that Mike Mayock had more to say. He was asked how the black players were handling the news, given that it was a racist comment that started this whole ordeal. Here's what Mike Mayock had to say. I've talked to several of the black players. Okay, We've reached out to a bunch of players, black and white. Um, everybody's got emotions and feelings. I've talked to some of the people in my department that are black and my, my, I, my director of pro scouting. And I just said, DJ, I can't put myself in your shoes. Help me. Okay. So, uh, we've spent, 
a pretty good amount of time trying to trying to help these guys and talk with these guys and not talk out at them but with them um, and the other thing I would say is just uh, for Carl it, let's be honest he's a community of one that's openly gay okay um, we do have a large community of African-American players and and we're, I'm trying to do we're trying to do everything we can for that community as well obviously it started there okay nobody's forgetting that we're talking and I'm trying to do to work with everyone and we're going to continue to do that you know th- those are uh, I think appropriate comments from Mike Mayock and to the extent that any of the players are looking at Mike Mayock saying well you're just a surrogate for Gruden as well Look, Mike Mayock was the guy Gruden was going to throw overboard if this season didn't work out. So I think Mayock is somebody that they should trust, they should believe, that is extremely honorable in everything that he's always done. And I think that the best thing for the Raiders, frankly, is that Mayock is now in charge with 51% to the 49% that Rich Bisaccia has. And frankly, if you got 51 in that setting as it relates to the roster, you got 100 because you're the one that ultimately makes the call, and there's nothing that anyone else can do about it. And it used to be Gruden 51, Mayock 49. Now Mayock's in charge. And look, there's been criticism of some of Mayock's draft picks, but let's not be so naive to think that those were actually Mayock draft picks because Gruden gets who he wants. So this actually could work out well for the Raiders because now Mayock's going to have a chance to breathe. He's going to have a chance to lead. And between Mayock and Gruden, frankly, the franchise is in far better hands with Mayock. Well, I, I think that that's pretty obvious. And look, I, I think the other thing that Mayock showed today is that he is a professional communicator. Right? You know, He was a broadcaster for over a decade with the NFL Network. And I think that that showed today. And I, I don't mean that in the sense that he's insincere and we can't necessarily trust what he's saying. I, I just mean that in the sense that his points, I thought, got across very well. And I thought that he handled himself very well in a situation where, frankly, he didn't have the power, right? This is not a situation where Mike Mayock chose to hire John Gruden and chose to say that the day he hired John Gruden was one of the best days of his life. That's not something that Mike Mayock did. Mike Mayock wasn't even there. So the fact that Mike Mayock had to stand up there alone and answer these questions kind of about the future of a franchise where, as you were just saying, Mike, you know, if things went south this year, he was the guy that was going to get tossed overboard. He knew that. He acknowledged that on an interview with Rich Eisen where he said, look, if things, if we don't win any games this year, if we don't win more games this year, I'm going to be right back there sitting next to you. All right. So, this, I thought, was a good showing of leadership by Mike Mayock to come out there and say the things that he said and address everybody in the way that he addressed them. Um, because that team right now is pretty rudderless. When you think about the fact that John Gruden was in charge of the football operation, he's gone. And then you had Mark Bedane, who's the president of the business operation, and he also resigned, and not necessarily in the same way that John Gruden did. Let's make that clear. But he's also not with the franchise anymore after a long time stewarding the business side of that franchise. So they need somebody who's a strong leader and can just basically calm the waters right now. It seems like Mike Mayock can do that. And uh, Mark Davis, for his part, 
He spoke earlier today to Paul Gutierrez of ESPN.com. I don't know if it was one-on-one or if it was a collection of individuals, but Gutierrez is the one who reported it. And, and so many times you'll see someone say, I have no comment, and then they'll keep talking. And that's what Davis did. I have no comment. Ask the NFL. They have all the answers. And within that, two extra sentences. Ask the NFL. They have all the answers. I think is a fair assessment of what Mark Davis is thinking about this situation. And it confirms much of what I believe as to how this happened, Miles. The NFL wanted to cajole the Raiders into firing John Gruden or to get Gruden to resign in lieu of being fired. They sent an initial folder of materials to the Raiders on Friday. That did not do the trick. More were sent on Monday. That did not do the trick. Eventually, certain emails were leaked to the New York Times. That did the trick. I personally believe that Mark Davis was not going to fire John Gruden. Mark Davis was not going to request his resignation. Mark, Gruden, Mark Davis was not going to accept his resignation. In those two sentences, in those eight words, I, that's, that's my assessment of it. He's not happy that the NFL pushed his head coach out the door. Right or wrong? Oh, yeah. And yeah. I, I, he's not happy that it happened. Well, right. And it seems like he feels like this was something that the NFL are just saying pushed on him instead of giving him the right amount of time to make a decision on his own, which, frankly, again, even if we look at this in a way and I guess interpret it in the most positive light for Mark Davis, you had all of this information for some period of time, whether it was hours, whether it was days, there was enough information to make some sort of assessment, make some sort of decision in regards to your head coach. And I get from the standpoint of Gruden was Mark Davis's white whale, right? This is the guy that he said he'd been courting for six years to come and coach this team. And he got him and they moved to Las Vegas. And especially this year, it seemed like things were on the rise. But at the same time, when you have all of this information and it's unclear exactly what it is that you're going to do with it, from a league standpoint, kind of makes sense that somebody had to be pushed into something, right? And so that's why I found it pretty inappropriate that Mark Davis only made a statement he made to apparently Paul Gutierrez of ESPN and not in the room with the rest of the media. And why is it that Mike Mayock has to answer for all of these things when it's your decision and it's your franchise? That, to me, is a total abdication of leadership. And, you know, if I were part of the Raiders organization, I'd see that, and that would make me at least a little bit uncomfortable. That's a great point. The counter to that would be that perhaps Mark Davis, who some would say has little or no self-awareness, has sufficient self-awareness to know that if he were the one to face reporters and answer questions, it would not go well for him or for the team. And if you've got the professional broadcaster who you've now put in charge, I'm just saying Mark Davis may not be able to adequately communicate whatever his innermost thoughts are. Even if the innermost thoughts are all positive, he may not be able to get it out the right way. And I'm not excusing it. I'm just trying to understand it because you would think that the owner would be there front and center. I agree with you. You would think the owner would be there front front and center. center. 
I just, I, I don't know, man. I just don't think it's fair when you're putting all of this on somebody who wasn't there and who's this, he, like, Mark, but Mike Mack didn't have anything to do with this. He just right. didn't, you know? Like, it's not like Mike Mayock was courting John Gruden for years. I just, I don't know. And I understand that Mark Davis had probably has a self-awareness to understand that, yeah, Mike Mayock is going to look a lot better in the press conference than he would. But I don't think that that excuses the behavior. And I don't think you're trying to do that either. But I just, I, I don't like it. No. You know, it's your I'm team, I'm trying to understand man. it. I'm trying yeah. to understand no, it. No, it's fair. And- it, that's fair. But it, yeah, it's, it's your team. You know, you sign the checks. You, you know, if, you, if it's you that is doing all of these different things for the organization and your franchise is like I was saying, it's kind of rudderless. Be the rudder. Be the anchor. That's leadership to me. And I, to, to not see it at all, I, I, don't, I don't like it. I just don't like it. Well, and let's be realistic about it. And this is one of the reasons I'm fascinated by the business that is the NFL. You've got 32 multi-billion dollar organizations, the value of which is going up all the time. And you have two types of owners, except in Green Bay, obviously, because you don't have an owner. It's publicly held. Otherwise, two types of owner. The person who made a crap load of money in some other line of work and decides, I want to have a football team, and I think I'm smart enough to run it well. And a lot of times they find out they ain't. The other kind of owner is the member of what they call the Lucky Sperm Club. And that's what they call it. Because that's the person who's in the right place at the right time when mom or dad dies or when the spouse dies or when the sibling dies, and they don't have the skills or abilities. They don't know what they're doing. They act like they know what they're doing. They don't know what they're doing. And Mark Davis, frankly, the prevailing view among those in his peer group of owners is that he doesn't know what he's doing and they would very much like him to get rid of the team. And this whole Las Vegas thing kind of fell into his lap. He discovered plutonium by accident. He's the toast of the town. And what makes it so comical, I mean, if you think the premise of Ted Lasso is a little far-fetched. The premise of the modern-day Raiders organization is even more far-fetched, where a guy who has no business running an NFL team is running it well by all appearances, except today, Miles, and today, and I'm agreeing with you, the fact that he did not face the reporters today confirms what people around the league believe. He should not be the person who owns the Raiders. No, Well, and yeah, like I said, it's just... When you're comfortable speaking with reporters one-on-one and you go back a couple of years ago and you see the things that he said dropping F-bombs about the Oakland A's front office and the city of Oakland, but you can't come out and answer questions about your team and the man that you hired who denigrated the franchise and is antithetical apparently to everything that the Raiders have ever stood for. That's on you. And so that's why it really kind of bothers me. Just the, the, two, the two sides of this, right? Because you, if you're comfortable, like I said, dropping F-bombs, talking about the place that you're leaving, but you're not comfortable going in front of reporters and kind of taking some accountability and going through the process of what this was and you leave somebody else who had nothing to do with it to explain it for you, that's not leadership to me. And I, I agree with you. It's just, it shows that maybe the guy really doesn't have a clue what he's doing. And I really do think the bottom line is he was so smitten with 
John Gruden. He so oh, badly yeah. wanted to keep John Gruden as a coach. If he would have started speaking extemporaneously today, and Miles, you know it, I know it, it's not an easy thing to do. None of us yeah. are operating off of a teleprompter. We say what pops into our brain and migrates to our mouth. If you're not skilled at that, and you truly believe that you got railroaded into telling John Gruden, if you don't quit, I'm going to have to fire you. You may say something extremely unfortunate that gets you in hot water, and maybe you end up not owning the Raiders by the time it's all said and done. As to the rest of the Washington football team emails, I am encouraged by the fact that after pretty much everyone ignored the fact that they buried literally 650,000 documents back in July, when they announced the punishment to be imposed on Dan Snyder and then said, oh, by the way, you're not getting any information whatsoever. We don't even have a written report that can be leaked because we said we don't want one, which is ludicrous. It gets more ludicrous the more I think about it. Lawyers who do investigations draft reports of their findings, except when they're told not to. And they're told not to by clients who don't want reports of their findings. So now that people are post John Gruden and a lot of people are on this train and i love it and the bandwagon is big enough i'm mixing all my metaphors get on the boat as quickly as you can and start joining in the chorus of release everything else the nflpa is trying to get everything released the lawyers who represent the 40 former employees of the organization are trying to get it released i know miles and i've kind of spitballed that maybe there's an argument to be made that the Washington football team is sufficiently public because it plays in a publicly funded stadium that it falls under the Freedom of Information Act, and maybe other teams do too. There's an effort to explore that angle. Is there a way to legally force these items into the domain? Through it all, the NFL is refusing to produce the information. And they use language like, we have no current plan, we don't intend. To me, that's PR slash lawyer spin for maybe we can change our mind later and i hope they do i hope that the pressure continues i hope that the game that gets played tomorrow night between the buccaneers and the eagles doesn't reset the clock to zero i hope that this weekend's games that get played don't make everyone forget about it and i hope that this thing continues to churn we're capable of sport as sports fans of not forgetting all about something that happened because there's something else that's captured the bulk of our attention and i hope the pressure continues miles and i hope they do the right thing and disclose all of these emails I, I do too. And the, the interesting thing is that, you know, when you tweet things and like the thing, me tweeting things, and I, I get feedback on certain things. And, you know, I was tweeting earlier that oh, Mike Mayock shouldn't have been the only one standing up there at that press conference. And while some Raider fans are like, oh, well, you know, you got your pound of flesh. Others were like, yeah, but they need to release the rest of the emails because it shouldn't just be John Gruden. And I'm like, like, yeah, like, absolutely. Like, I'm not, I'm not disagreeing with you on that. We need to have all of this information because it is ridiculous that one of the only people to get taken down by this investigation is somebody who coaches a team thousands of miles away in Southern Nevada. And like, this just doesn't make any sense to me. I think that there is so much that went wrong. And frankly, one of the things that were in those emails um, that took John Gruden down was the fact that he was getting topless photos of these Washington cheerleaders. 
This is absurd. It's ridiculous and it's terrible. And so I think that we need to know more about who was sending emails and who was getting emails from this organization and figure out exactly what was going on so we can understand why it is that Dan Snyder, exactly why it is, I should say, that Dan Snyder is no longer in charge of the day-to-day operation for a period of time where he may or may not be suspended and may or may not need the commissioner's permission to come back to the organization. There's so much that we don't know about this. And frankly, I think it's time that we learn it. And it is entirely possible and fair to believe that what John Gruden did was reprehensible and that he got what he deserved. But to also say it's not fair to John Gruden for him to be the only one to suffer consequences if there are other people who sent other emails that were as bad, maybe worse, maybe close, maybe halfway to what Gruden did, to hide all of that. And the thing that continues to make me feel like we're in some sort of dystopian National Football League, the idea that someone has the keys to this case of 650,000 emails and has the power now, Miles, whenever they want to take someone down. Let's take mm-hmm. a look at our enemies list. Let's, let's cross-reference our enemies list with the folks who may have sent some problematic emails to Bruce Allen or anyone else or anyone who worked there and now works somewhere else. Plenty of people who worked as coaches, assistant coaches with the Washington football team who are coaches elsewhere. A couple of them are head coaches. If, we, if, you, if, if you step out of line, well, let's see. You're, let's see. This person's on our enemies list now. Let's go back and have a look, shall we, at the emails that this person sent when they were with the Washington football team. That's what bothers me, that someone has the power to do this. And whoever pulled the cord on the lawnmower, as to John Gruden, has the power to do the same thing for anyone else. Now, I know that by advocating for the release of everything, we're we're basically saying, go ahead and out them all. But yes, because you're removing, by doing that, the power of one person, if it's down to one person, to, to basically play God with someone professionally. And to the point where, and this is real mob stuff if it would happen, you could approach someone and say, we got some emails you sent while you were working for the Washington football team, and they are very problematic. And you should take a look at these, and you should decide what you're going to do before we decide what we're going to do. Then nobody even knows. Somebody resigns, retires, whatever. And we don't know why. They never say why. Because the truth is, if they didn't, their John Gruden-style emails were going to be released. I'm not comfortable with anyone having that power, Miles. No, I'm not either. I'm not either. And, yeah, I think that's exactly why they all need to be released. And, like, yeah, if somebody has these problematic things in their emails, I don't think it should only be John Gruden who goes down from it. I just don't. And, I'll, and like, I, that does, that's not to say that John Gruden should still have his job. I think that is very clear that he should not. Because what he said is unacceptable. What he wrote down in those emails is unacceptable. And, you know, you you used the word ludicrous earlier. I mean, it's pretty ludicrous that anybody would use company email to send these kinds of things. What are you doing? And you said this, too, that, you know, like computers are designed to preserve things. Email is there to preserve things. So it's not like 
this is just going to go away somehow. So yeah, I, I just feel like if we're going to do this for one person, we really should do it for everybody. And like, let's see all of it. Let's figure out what this league and what this team at least really, really was. And hopefully we'll get there and hopefully people will continue to care and continue to speak and continue to pressure the National Football League. And whether it's fans and media on one hand, a politician could get interested in this on the other hand, and then there's the legal system, which may ultimately be the key to getting these materials produced. A creative lawyer with the time and the resources and the desire to push it could find a way to unlock these emails, and we hope that ultimately will happen. And if the NFL doesn't like that, well, too bad. We don't like what has happened to John Gruden, not from the standpoint of whether or not he deserved it, but from the standpoint of he was selected for the nuclear option when there very well may be others who deserve the same fate, up to and including the owner of the Washington football team. Daniel Snyder. All right, we're going to take a break. When we return, what else you need to know from around the NFL on this Wednesday, one day short of the start of week six. We'll be back with more PFT PM right after this. The longest field goal ever attempted is 76 yards. The longest field goal ever missed? Also 76 yards. Why bring this up? Because knowing your limits matters, both when you're kicking a field goal and when you gamble. Betting more than you're comfortable with is like trying a 70-yard field goal. It probably won't go well. So set a limit when you gamble and stick to it. Want more helpful tips like this? Go to KeepItFunOhio.com for games, quizzes, and lots of ways to keep your gambling from getting out of hand. So there's an interesting sidebar to the Washington football team, John Gruden situation, that emerged Late last night, courtesy of the Los Angeles Times. And I'll summarize this as succinctly as I possibly can. Dan Snyder and Bruce Allen were involved in a fight that relates to a defamation lawsuit filed in India by Dan Snyder against a website that published a defamatory article linking Dan Snyder to Jeffrey Epstein. And it is amazing that that sentence has escaped my mouth. But that's the truth. So Dan Snyder wants to find out if Bruce Allen was involved, if Bruce Allen was a source. So Dan Snyder was trying to get some information from Bruce Allen. And Bruce Allen said, among other things, in a sworn statement, I kept a low profile. I never served as an unnamed source for reporters. That resulted in Daniel Snyder submitting into evidence an email from Adam Schefter of ESPN in which Schefter sends an entire article in advance, unpublished, to Bruce Allen for him to review for any tweaks, corrections, edits, etc. Now, I didn't know how people were going to react to it, because every once in a while I'll get on a soapbox about how the sausage gets made and the ethical things that go on, and nobody ever cares. A lot of people cared about this. I was yeah. stunned, Miles. Let's just start there before I give you the update, because there's news on this beyond what came out this morning. I was stunned. Scale of 1 to 10, I was 15. Surprised how many people cared about it. I think part of the reason that so many people care is because you're talking about somebody who's thought of as the lead newsbreaker in the NFL, and they work for what you know is the self-described worldwide leader in sports. So I think... 
especially when we're on Twitter, you know, most of what we see is journalists and, you know, all of this kinds of things. And so a lot of Twitter is just, especially for us, it's like just sports writers and us talking about inside baseball things. But I think from the standpoint of what ethics are and people going to journalism school and talking about how you develop sources and what editorial control should be. I mean, I frankly did not go to journalism school, like that, but I know this just from all the different things that I've been able to do in my life. You don't allow your source to control every element of the story. You, you verify information, of course, but you don't send a draft of a story to somebody to say tweaks and corrections. And even if you're joking, saying Mr. Editor, that's just, that's weird. And it's wrong journalistically. And I think that's why so many people cared about it. Well, and it speaks to a level of coziness with sources that underscores a point that I have made from time to time over the years, and nobody cares because the people just want the information. Because right. I have said from time to time, and I, I know this marginalizes Schefter's role, but it is true also, he gets through those cozy relationships, it's a quid pro quo, where when something is about to be announced, he finds out about it five years, or five years, five years, that would be news, five minutes Whoa. early. If, he, if he's reporting it five years early, then you definitely want to be following him on Twitter. He finds out about it five minutes early. He officially broke the news. They can put his name at the bottom of the scroll. But the reality is it was announced five minutes later. And sometimes it literally is five minutes later. Sometimes oh, yeah. it's less than five minutes later. So what happens is you never piss anybody off. You have these buddy-buddy relationships and... You know, you never say anything bad about any team, really. And when does Shefty ever say anything bad about anyone? You can't because you burn that bridge. You lose that five-minute heads up. And, 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 and I, I think one of the reasons I'm so surprised by the reaction here, Miles, is because that email to Bruce Allen is just an example of how we got to where we are. Of course you're going to have emails like that if you have that kind of cozy relationship. And that's why I'm so surprised people reacted the way they did because it just confirms what I've been saying. But I guess... I guess having the smoking gun is the thing that's going to get people's attention because it's one thing for me to spout off on Twitter or elsewhere that this is how the sausage gets made and it's all one big cozy quid pro quo and people don't care. But then they see the smoking gun, they get, they see the bullet being fired and then they care. Well, yeah, but I mean, like I'm going to talk about how the sausage gets made. I mean, I can tell you that I have been in situations where I was told Adam Schefter is going to break this first and then we can post working for having worked for a team and it worked for a team media situation at that, that I know that that's what it was. Literally. I've been told that, you know, whether it was Schefter or somebody else, it's yeah, they're going to break this. And then after we will be able to post it. So, you know, I don't know that people really know that. And maybe people don't care about that either, but you're, you're right about the five minute thing. That's not, it's not something you're making up. That is absolutely verifiably true because I know because it's happened to me. And it's part of the broader business relationship between the NFL and ESPN, frankly. Yeah. It is. It helps build up ESPN, and it's part of what ESPN in a roundabout way is paying for with the money that it pays for Monday Night Football and all other associated rights. And let me go one step farther since we're saying things that, you know, I'm not saying we shouldn't, but it's revealing to the people out there paying attention there's one person I know in the league who is believed by folks around the league to be very close with Schefter. At one point, there was something I was saying repeatedly that was problematic for this person. And this person offered to me, 
if you stop saying what you're saying, I'll let you break our next big story. And my response was, thank you, but no thank you. And thank you very much for confirming my suspicion as to how my competitors do business. So that's it, folks. That's the sausage-making process. And we've spent way too much time talking about this already. This is all the buildup yeah, to the statement that Adam Schefter released today. After trending all day long on Twitter, and not for good reasons, fair questions are being asked about my reporting approach of an NFL lockout story from 10 years ago. Just to clarify, it's common practice to verify facts of a story with sources before you publish in order to be as accurate as possible. In this case, I took the rare step, of course, we can't confirm whether or not it's rare, editor's note, we have to take his word for it, the rare step of sending the full story in advance because of the complex nature of the collective bargaining talks. It was a step too far, and looking back, I shouldn't have done it. The criticism being levied is fair. With that said, I want to make this perfectly clear. In no way did I or would I cede editorial control or hand over final say about a story to anyone ever. Fine. I don't know that that's going to placate anyone's belief because the bottom line is the picture painted today is one of an ultra cozy, too cozy relationship between reporter and source, period. Yeah, yeah, it, it is. But I mean, at least that, you know, Adam Schefter seemed to compose a decent apology there. You know, I mean, and who knows if it was actually him that composed it or he composed it with ESPN PR. And if he were smart, he would compose it with ESPN PR. But I mean, at least he is acknowledging that what he did was wrong and that he shouldn't do that kind of thing. So, I mean, maybe people will be placated by the apology. Maybe they won't. But I don't think that's going to stop Adam Schefter from breaking the news that he continues to break. And let me just say this. It is an information-driven business, so it's a relationship-driven business. And you need to have good relationships with people. If you're regarded as a complete and total butthole by some, <laughs> not by everyone. <laughs> you're, you're, you're I was alarmed by like, how I, amused you are by well, that. Well, because but, I mean, like, look, I was going to say it, but you did it before me, so I don't know. But but you still have to have basic relationships with people. And yes. I have relationships founded on respect. And people respect the fact that I have opinions that I will articulate. Does that qualify me for the five-minute heads up before something is announced? No, it doesn't. And I don't care. I would rather be able to be authentic and honest at all times with the audience. But you still have to maintain fundamental basic relationships. And there are people that I know who... Are, I mean, it's, it's, and it, they're not even sources per se, because it's not like there's someone that I know that I communicate with that I'm looking to to say, ooh, gimme, gimme, gimme. Like, like I, I, need, I need that information so I can placate my overlords. You just develop relationships with people you trust, people whose opinions you're interested in. I'm not doing it as part of a transaction. I guess that's the point. It's very transactional for some. For me, yeah. it's just you develop friendly relationships with people that you deal with all the time, but there's still a wall there. That wall was breached by the Schefter email. That's the bottom yes. line, Miles. Yes. Yeah. No. And I think that that makes sense. And like you said, it's relationship, it's relationship driven um, business, especially the one that Adam Schefter is in. But yeah, I think that the way you do things is not the way other people do things. And I like that. It's why I like working here. Um, we need to take a break. Yep. And, uh, uh, we'll be back with what we had planned to talk about in this segment. Other news from today in the National Football League. We'll be back with more PFT PM. Joe, uh, everything's going good. You know, we're just trying to limiting what he has to say and how he's going to use his voice through today. So 
Um, it kind of works out because we're going on the road in a dome. It can be loud. Uh, one of the ways to manufacture what it's going to be like in the huddle is to whisper in the huddle. So it's kind of he's on voice rest a little bit, you know, and, and we still get something accomplished with what we're going to face in Detroit. At Zach Taylor, Bengals head coach, Joe Burrow, quarterback of the team, was poked in the throat on Sunday, went to a hospital for an evaluation because if you injure your trachea, it can swell internally, and that becomes fairly urgent medical condition. And it's an important medical condition as well if you can't speak. He's on voice rest, according to Taylor. We just had this conversation two weeks ago about Tom Brady. And remember, everyone yeah. poo-pooed it. Tom Brady sounds hoarse. He's losing his voice. Oh, oh, I guess he won't be able to play. Well, that's not the issue. The issue is will he be able to communicate? And uh, they're making sure that Zach – or that Zach Burrow is making sure that Joe Burrow – Zach Burrow is making sure that Joe Taylor <laughs> – Zach Taylor – let me try it one more time. I'll get every possible permutation. Zach Taylor is making sure that Joe Burrow will be able to speak come Sunday, and there's no guarantee that he will. Yeah, yeah, but I mean that's why you do vocal rest during the week. It's like you you know, you're in a play, you're in a show. I you know, when I was in high school, we were doing a show and I was one of the lead roles and I had to be on vocal rest. It was it was weird. Like my mom would make me this tea in the morning. I was just put like a bunch of lemon juice and some honey and we put it in a thermos and I drink it throughout the day. It was it's really interesting, Mike. I mean, we got to be on vocal rest. It's kind of bad, you know. Have you ever been on vocal rest? I feel like you would have a hard time with that. Well, th- yeah, thank you very much. There have been occasions where, and we talked about this two weeks ago, you feel like you're losing your voice right. and you go heavy on the, the tea with honey and every other holistic device you can think of to try to preserve your voice. And there have been times where, where it was, you know, it was, it, was, uh, it was dicey. But I've been fortunate. One of the benefits of not traveling and never leaving the house is I never get sick. I haven't had a cold in two years, so Knock I don't have to worry about that, and I probably just jinx myself. Um, yeah. I, I, I do like getting, you know, you get that little touch of something, and it makes your voice go deeper, and you kind of feel like a badass. I kind of like that. It's like the effect of smoking a lot of cigarettes without the tar and nicotine. I kind of like when, you're, when my voice is in that sweet spot of I kind of have a little something, and it's giving me a little bit more bass in my voice. I do like that. All right. Uh, very important topics of discussion here today Kyler Murray listed as limited with a right shoulder injury as the Cardinals get ready to take on the Browns your Cleveland Browns in Cleveland Ohio Chandler Jones is on the COVID list Rodney Hudson the starting center is unlikely to play and now Kyler Murray's a little banged up remember last year Miles when Kyler Murray got a little banged up late in the year that's when it started to fall apart for the Cardinals I sure did. And like, look, that, that's exactly the, the kind of concern that they're going to have to have with Kyler Murray because that of the way that he plays and his playing style is so exciting. And it's not like he's getting hit all of the time, but it's just one of those things where based on his body type and based on the way he plays, if he starts getting banged up. I guess you could say this about any quarterback too, but if he starts getting banged up and it has to change the way he does things, then that's gonna affect him negatively and it's going to affect his performance. I think one of the things that may help him, at least this year, 
is that they've also got somebody in AJ Green who is you know, been performing great. Now, reports of his demise in Cincinnati were probably greatly exaggerated just based on the way that he's been able to produce there um, for the Cardinals. And of course, when you've got DeAndre Hopkins, who for my money is the best receiver in football, you're usually going to be all right, at least throwing to him as a target. But yeah, I mean, it, it's, it's a concern whenever you don't have your best edge rusher and you don't have your starting center who has on the whole, I think improved that offensive line a lot this year. Um, we're talking about Rodney Hudson with that. Yeah. And uh, look, Cardinals, the last unbeaten team in the NFL, this is going to be a hell of a test. This Browns team at three and two, they're better than three and two. And if they oh, yeah. would lose this game and fall to three and three, that, that's just like, what, wait, what's going on with the Browns this year? Because they are much better than three and three would indicate. And I think they're going to be in good position to win this game. And having Kyler Murray banged up is only going to help them toward that end. David Culley, the head coach of the Houston Texans, says that Tyrod Taylor is the starting quarterback when healthy. Don't take my word for it as if you ever would. Here's Culley from earlier today talking about Tyrod Taylor. When Tyrod comes back and he's healthy, he's our starting quarterback. Uh, as far as the quarterback situation, yeah. Yeah. oh, uh, he gives us the best chance to win. I mean, he's our starting quarterback. He was our starting quarterback when he went down. Uh, he's doing an excellent job, and when he comes back, he'll still be our starting quarterback. Well, some would say there's another quarterback currently on the roster who would give the Texans a better chance to win, <laughs> but they don't want to play him. He doesn't want to play, and we've now got 20 days until the window closes on a possible trade of Deshaun Watson. But, look, Davis Mills, I mean, come on. Davis Mills hasn't been great. Davis Mills hasn't looked great. Of course Tyrod Taylor is the starter when he's healthy. He was phenomenal. Y'all. Hey, he doesn't get injured at halftime of week two against your Cleveland Browns. The Texans may have beaten your Cleveland Browns. Yeah, that, that definitely would have been a different game. It definitely would have been a different game because even Davis Mills moved the ball a little bit um, when he came out there, but then he didn't. I mean, the, the best game that Mills has played was this week against the Patriots, um, but I think that it's been quite clear that he is not ready to be a full-time starting quarterback. And so finally... Tyrod Taylor's not going to get Wally pipped when he gets a starting job. Because I mean, you got to remember it happened with Baker Mayfield, you know, when he got picked in 2018. And then uh, Tyrod Taylor gets concussed in that Thursday night game against the Jets. Baker Mayfield doesn't ever give that starting position up. And then last year, Tyrod Taylor, starter for the Chargers, has to go out because of the punctured lung right before the game in week two against the Chiefs. And Justin Herbert came in, and now we see how good Justin Herbert is. And so, yeah, you're not going to get that job back. So, I, it's it's nice for Tyrod Taylor that he's going to get a chance to still be a starting quarterback in this league. And with how bad the AFC South has been, you know, when the way they looked in the first couple weeks with him as a quarterback, who knows what can happen there? Maybe they can start looking more competitive and they win some games and who knows? Absolutely. And look, any wins they get are more than we thought they were going to get. They got their one win of the season week one against the Jaguars and they play the Jaguars again. And, uh, if Tyrod Taylor's playing, I would expect them to beat the Jaguars again. Justin Fields, Bears quarterback. It's Packers week for the Bears. And the Bears the Bears are one of those teams. Like, the Bears are 3-2 and two and the Browns are 3-2. and two. What the hell is wrong with this picture? The Browns completely outclassed the Bears when they played a couple of weeks ago. And they're in two different stratospheres, but the Bears are 3-2. and two. And if they somehow could beat the Packers on Sunday, they'd be tied with Green Bay at 4-2 and two atop the NFC North. Justin Fields, his knee will be good to go 
by Sunday. He hyperextended it, and it looked bad. And this is just one of those examples, Miles, of youth, nutrition, flexibility, pliability, all the things these guys do to avoid serious injury when their bodies go in a direction that they shouldn't. Because it looked like Justin Fields was injured when he had that kind of weird step and his knee hyperextended and he was gone for a little bit and then he was back. And uh, they'll have him when they take on Aaron Rodgers on Sunday. And I don't know that it's going to make a difference for the Bears because they're not in Green Bay's class, but that doesn't mean they can't beat him. No, especially when you're talking about a division rival. I mean, but yeah, you you want to see Justin Fields go up against Aaron Rodgers. I think we all want to see that rather than, sorry, no offense, Andy Dalton versus Aaron Rodgers. I think the quarterback matchup just becomes a little bit more compelling when you've got the first round rookie against one of the best quarterbacks of all time. But it's interesting what you say you know, about the Bears being three and two and the Browns being three and two. Like, the competition level that these two teams have been facing is a little bit different, right? And so even if the Browns don't win this weekend, because they're pretty banged up too. I mean, both of their running backs, Kareem Hunt, Nick Chubb, they weren't practicing today. Devin Clowney, Miles Garrett weren't practicing today. So there's some stuff going on with the Browns too when it comes to injuries um, where, look, if they end up being three and three, then to me it's not the worst thing in the world. But that's not the thing that I was supposed to be talking about. But I wanted to say that because I felt like you kind of took an unnecessary shot at the Browns. So I'm correcting that record. I'm just – I think the Browns are better than three and two. And they yeah, better start they showing it played, or – But they I, played the Chiefs. They played the Chargers. Like you think of the teams that they've lost to are two of the better teams in the AFC. We're not – it's not like they lost to the Texans or and, Chicago. They beat Minnesota. Your Minnesota Vikings, they beat them too. So, like, the Browns are all right, man. And they got screwed against the Chargers. Some they did. non-calls late in the game, and the Browns could have slash should have won. All right, real quickly before we take a break, Rob Gronkowski, Levante, David, both out for Thursday night for the Bucks against the Eagles. And Matt Rule, the Panthers head coach, says Christian McCaffrey is 50-50 for this weekend. We will pop open the mailbag when PFTPM continues right after this. At Amica Insurance, we know it's more than a life policy. It's about the promise and the responsibility that comes with being a new parent, being there day and night, and building a plan for tomorrow, today. For the ones you'll always look out for, trust Amica Life Insurance. Amica. Empathy is our best policy. Just time for a few questions here. PFTPM Posse, what do you think the future holds for John Gruden? Let me take a quick crack at this, Miles. I think that within three to five years, if he does and says all the right things and shows some atonement. That doesn't mean that his heart is going to change, but I could see him back in some sort of a media gig with a sports book that is intent on creating content for a crap load of money where he would be unfiltered Chucky ranting and raving all the time and telling us what he really thinks instead of saying all the right things to preserve his path back to the NFL because his path back to the NFL has been obliterated. 
Yeah, I can see that too. I mean, especially with the avalanche of uh, sports betting content that we have now. I mean, I could definitely see him working for a Las Vegas sports book or somewhere else, you know, giving us that kind of content. And, you know, it would probably be very, very profitable. I think until then, he's probably going to be locked up in a dark room somewhere watching film and, you know, maybe producing videos on a YouTube channel. Who knows? Um, a red zone out who needs the win in London more on Sunday, Brian Flores of the dolphins or urban Meyer, of the Jaguars. Um, look, it's easy to say Meyer get, and, and, and we've forgotten all about the Meyer situation. Thanks to Gruden, but oh, I haven't. Brian Flores now, well, and the, the dolphins don't have a buy on the back end, which actually helps right. Flores. Not that he's on the hot seat right now, but he's got to start winning some games. Maybe he, would be better off with the bye after the London game because the bye comes late enough in the season that Stephen Ross could say, all right, time to time to start over all over again because they're just not winning enough games to placate Stephen Ross, who is far more demanding than maybe he should be given the fact that you know he's trying to operate a team that's in Miami by living in New York. Yeah, well, it's interesting, too, because Tua Tagovailoa looks like he's going to be back. He practiced today a little bit, so we'll see if he's actually back or not. But if he is, then not only do they need to win games, but they got to score some more points, man, because that's been one of the biggest things about this offense. It has not really produced any points except for the game where they went to Las Vegas and sent it into overtime. And of course that's Jacoby Brissett running the show. So they need to win game, but yeah, they need to score some points too. And between Flores and Meyer, like they both need a win because for whoever loses that game, it's going to be a long, long flight back to Florida. And uh, that definitely may be a flight that Urban Meyer doesn't want to take. Maybe he stays in Jacksonville or in London to clear his head yeah. for a couple of days after the game. Keith Levy, how many games do the Chiefs win this year? Do they make the playoffs? Now, Miles, they're two and three, but they've lost to the four and one Bills, four and one Chargers, and four and one Ravens. So I, I think I think they'll be fine. I think they'll get one of the seven spots in the AFC. Do you? Yes, I do. I mean, it's the same point that I was making about the Browns. It's kind of the level of competition. And frankly, the Chiefs should have probably won one or two of those games if they don't turn the ball over like that. And that is pretty atypical of that team. So I expect them to figure it out. I expect that they're going to get back right, especially this week. They're going to play Washington, and that defense has been atrocious. It's probably going to be a big week for Patrick Mahomes. Washington Titans, Giants, before they play the Packers, then the Raiders and the Cowboys. They got some they got some tests still coming up. We'll see what they can do. Thanks for some of your time today. We'll see you tomorrow morning for PFT Live. Have a great evening. The longest field goal ever attempted is 76 yards. The longest field goal ever missed? Also 76 yards. Why bring this up? Because knowing your limits matters, both when you're kicking a field goal and when you gamble. Betting more than you're comfortable with is like trying a 70-yard field goal. It probably won't go well. So set a limit when you gamble and stick to it. Want more helpful tips like this? Go to KeepItFunOhio.com for games, quizzes, and lots of ways to keep your gambling from getting out of hand.